Thanks, Paul and Tiffany and Jaden. Let's uh, go to the Lord, the Lord in prayer as we begin our time in His Word this morning. Join me. Father, we thank You today, uh, as we regularly do, for the privilege of unpacking Your Word. We pray that as we do that today, You will speak to us clearly and find us receptive to what You have to say. Receptive to the point, Lord, where we act on the truth that we hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we started a bit of a tour through the book of 1 John in the New Testament. And when we did that, we, we learned that uh, in the face of fake news and in the face of a certain soft drink's old claim to be the real thing, that in fact Jesus is the actual real thing, the most important real thing. So last time in 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, we established that. We heard John speak to us about that, that anchoring reality for Christian faith, that Jesus is the real thing. And because of that, because of that, we can have genuine fellowship, genuine connection with each other, and the thing that the Bible calls joy. And we recall that joy is not a function of circumstance. It's not what we call happiness. It's a deeper, more resonant, more stable thing. Joy is a gift from God through the Holy Spirit to those who belong in Jesus. And so the Apostle John chases this idea of biblical fellowship. Remember the word was koinonia, not coffee, but koinonia, throughout this letter of 1 John. And he shows us some barriers to that fellowship, and he shows us some fixes when things go awry. And this is what is part of being a real believer in Jesus, with the real Jesus in the middle of real life, looking reality squarely in the eye and finding God's solution for it. Christians are the last people on the planet who should be deniers of reality because Jesus comes to us as the real Savior in the middle of real life. And sometimes, though, sometimes, though, that fellowship that he has called us to is disrupted. Sometimes it's broken. Sometimes it's fractured. And there's a fundamental reason why that happens. And that fundamental reason is captured in a three-letter word that we do not like. That three-letter word is sin. And primarily, the sin of the denial of sin. You might call this also pride. So, as we move forward in the letter of 1 John, in chapter 1, starting in verse 5, I'm going to read down through chapter 2, verse 2. If you're on the website, you can click to the right of the picture and find a Bible translation there. I trust, though, at home you have your own Bible as you follow along with me. 1 John, chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. 
But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, I mentioned before already that sin is not a popular word. Way back in the last century, somebody even wrote a book. The book's title was, Whatever Became of Sin? Because we just don't like to talk about it. And in particular, we don't like to think about it in terms of a personal reference. But in this passage that John gives us today, we see three, what I'm going to call denials of sin. The denials of the reality of sin. First one comes up in verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with Jesus, yet we walk in darkness, John says, we lie. Because John said in verse 5, God is light. Now I know, not recently, but uh, before COVID came upon us, many of you have had experiences going to the theater and seeing a play. Pastor Laura and I, during the COVID time, we watched the Hamilton musical. If you've not seen that thing, man, you need to plug into it and watch it. It is outstanding. But you know, right, when when there's a play going on, what's happening is in the middle of the stage, in the middle of the action, there's a spotlight on what is real, what is genuinely a part of what's going on. And then off in the wings of the theater, there is darkness. Here's the thing. The world is a a darkened stage. But when Jesus comes, the spotlight shines. It shines on him and it shines through him on those who are in him and around him. And our job is to get into the spotlight and stay in the spotlight. If we consistently choose to live off in a darkened wing, then John says in this letter that we lie. And he says, we literally do not do the truth. You and I are accustomed to thinking that the truth is a kind of an intellectual proposition that we either agree with or don't agree with. But in the Bible, truth is not something that just something that we know. Truth is something that we do. The second denial here, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. A guy named George Barna founded a Christian research organization that still carries his name, even though he's no longer affiliated with it. But they do these surveys regularly of people of faith and what they're thinking about whatever's going on. And um, a few years ago, he did a survey. They did a survey. And in this particular survey, 6% of Americans claim that they completely follow all of the Ten Commandments. Ha! Want to bet? Or more popular even, hey, I'm a good person. Really? How about the last time somebody cut you off in traffic? Or how about the last time somebody rejected your ideas? Or how about the last time somebody muscled in on your me time? How nice were you? How nice was I under those circumstances? It's no news that we've had this massive pandemic COVID outbreak. Last count, I think 547,000 Americans have died. We've had some of that touch people and families here in our church. But without making light of the reality of the physical COVID 
and our need to be careful about that and the impact it's had on families around the world who've had loved ones who have just died, John says here that we have a kind of even deadlier virus of the spirit because sooner or later, if untreated, it will do us in. The Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Not just a bad time, not just a bad day, not just a period of downturn in the economy. No, the wages of sin is death. Along the way, sin can slow us down, debilitate our activities in our lives, impede our relationships, fracture our spirits. And John says this, if we, if we, we, we it's our very nature to deceive ourselves about this. And it also applies to those of us who from time to time like to blame other people for all the trouble that we have. Responsibility avoiders. Not my fault. No, somebody else is responsible for this. Now, I I was transparent with you last week in terms of our family, and I shared with you that uh, Pastor Laura struggles with this deep-seated, deep-rooted addiction to Diet Coke, which I still don't to this day understand. And, and, uh, but that's her struggle. I have a struggle too, just to be frank with you this morning. People regularly mistake me for Tom Cruise. Happens all the time. People just run up to me and say, Tom, Tom. Oh, and then they realize, no, you can't be Tom Cruise. You're too tall. Happens all the time. And I struggle with this. It's a, it's a deep-seated problem that I have. I've learned to deal with it. Why are you laughing over there? Hmm. Anyway, Tom Cruise. If I say the words tick-tock to you, many of you will think a uh, clock tick-tocking, because that's kind of our demographic here. But even in our demographic, tick-tock uh, clock really doesn't mean much because most of us have digital clocks these days anyway. But TikTok is a social media platform where short videos are filmed and people glean followers and do all those kinds of things that happen in, in the world of social media. But recently, TikTok unveiled that there was a, 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 a video of Tom Cruise. And again, people came running up to me. Did I say, was that you on TikTok? And no, 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 it wasn't me. Too tall. But... Here's the thing, this video of Tom Cruise, he was playing golf, he was just chatting in regular um, everyday kind of activities. This video of Tom Cruise on TikTok is what they called a deep fake. It was really, really, really good. You had to understand the dynamics of video production to realize how good this thing was. But it was called a, it's called a deep fake because it looked really, really real, but it's not. Here's the thing. With respect to what John's saying to us in this passage today, if we act on this ongoing tendency to deceive ourselves, you and I, we are engaging in the deepest fake of all times. We are deep faking ourselves about this capacity that we have to let God down and to act out on our sinful nature. And then there's a third denial in verse 10, and John talks more specifically about 
symptoms of our sin that leak out like some awful discharge. So, you know, it's really easy to talk about sin in the abstract. It's especially easy to talk about sin in the abstract when we're talking about other people. It is amazing to me my capacity to recognize sinful failure in other people. But that's not what John is doing here. And the Apostle Paul helps us out a little bit with this as well in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Because if you're looking for some examples of what this might look like, you don't have to be a serial killer to be a sinner. Verse 19 of the, of the book of Galatians chapter 5. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. We're all going, huh, we're probably okay there. And then in verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft. Hmm. I don't know many of us that are engaged in those things in a purposeful kind of way. But then the list gets a little more tricky. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Notice that phrase, and the like. Because here's what you and I do. At least I do this. I have a tendency to, you know, rank order these sinful, really horrific things. And right at the top, there's some really, really horrific things like murder. And right down at the bottom are all those things that I do. See how that list works? But what does Paul do here? Underscoring what John is saying to us, what does Paul do here? He says, hey, sin, man, at least in terms of fracturing our relationship with God, sin is sin. Paul says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you and I this morning, we can go, you know, wait a minute. Hey, Pastor Howard, you're really meddling this morning. I just don't like that at all. Listen to me. I don't do this stuff. Really? Want to bet? And in this letter, 1 John 1, verse 10, our denial of our sin, John says, makes God out to be a liar. You remember when you were a kid and somebody got caught in a falsehood of some kind or another and you pointed your finger at them and said, liar, liar, pants on fire. Listen, if we weren't plagued by sin, God would not have had to send his son. If we were not plagued by sin, Christianity makes no sense whatsoever. We're on the cusp of Easter and we're looking forward to celebrating Easter Sunday morning outside on the lawn. Preceding Easter Sunday morning is Good Friday. And Good Friday is the recognition of the day that Jesus went to the cross. If you and I don't sin, the cross makes no sense whatsoever. If you and I don't sin, then the cross means God pulled the worst possible, cruel, practical joke on his son that you can imagine. But John says, hmm. we are indeed sinners. And if we don't think we are, then not only are we deceiving ourselves in a deep, deep, fake kind of way, but we're saying God's a liar. And so all those times in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament or the New Testament, God said that we were sinners, all those times would be lies. Psalm 14, verse 3, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we say we're not sinners, we're deceiving ourselves and we're making God out to be a liar. 
Scripture shows that God is the great forgiver of sin, which is pointless if we're not sinners. So in the face of all that, and I know you've had a really fun time listening to all this conversation about sin this morning, but in the face of that sad, sad news, God provides for us a two-part fix. Verses 7, 9, and chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Here's the beginning of the fix. We confess our sins. We own up to the reality that we have sinned. Yes, Lord, yes, I know I have sinned. Why? Because Jesus' work on our behalf on that cross fixes the sin problem. He is the cure for the deadly viral disease of the soul. And we don't just confess our sin at the initial point of meeting him, establishing our relationship with him. It's an ongoing process. I love the Psalms. One of the reasons I love the Psalms so much, particularly the Psalms attributed to King David, is that the Psalms show a real person in the middle of real life relying on a real God. David, in the Psalms, mad, sad, bad, and glad. All of it's there. And he brings all of that to God. And one of the times he does that, in Psalm 32, he says this. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Sin is not the end of the story. Sin is the place from which we start to meet the God of glory, who in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, says, I can forgive you. I want to forgive you. I will forgive you. 1993, British police accused two 10-year-old boys of the brutal murder of a two-year-old boy named James Bulger. The kids, when they were questioned, were notably inconsistent. The climax came when the parents of one of the boys assured him that they loved him no matter what, and that they would always love him no matter what. So this little boy, confronted with the irrefutable evidence linking him to the murder of this two-year-old, coupled with the assurance of his parents' love. That little boy said in a soft voice, I killed James. Do you see the power at work of the assurance of the absolute love of God who's just waiting to hear from us, yes, Lord, yes, I know. I blew it again. This is the miracle of God's love. He knows us in our sin, yet he loves us And this piece that John points out here, this piece of confession, is essential for the health of our soul. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But I have come to the place in my life where I recognize that no matter how hard I try, I cannot pretend that I can earn my way to a perfect score. Relationship with God is not a GPA. It's not a credit score. Because on those two fronts, you can earn perfection. But with God, you cannot, we cannot, cannot earn perfection. Perfection God gives to us. 
The Apostle John, when he was writing his gospel, gospel, chapter 1, verse 4, said, In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And here, in chapter 2 of this little letter, he is our advocate. He is the friend of the accused who takes on the punishment for his friends. Jesus is not trying to establish our innocence. He's not trying to minimize what we've done. He's not trying to say it's no big deal. It doesn't count. It doesn't matter. Oh, don't worry about that. No, Jesus is saying, I am worried about that. I love you enough to take that on myself. He takes us who are guilty and he declares us innocent. In our courts in the United States of America, the task for the defense lawyer is to uh, do enough work so that the prosecution doesn't meet its burden of proof to prove guilt. It's the prosecution's job to prove guilt. All the defense is hoping for is a not guilty verdict. But listen, not guilty doesn't mean you didn't do it. In the Christian life, Jesus isn't after a declaration of not guilty. Jesus is after saying, I take this on and I will make you innocent. This process of owning our sin, throwing ourselves on God's mercy for our sin, it is the glue that holds together the fellowship of believers, fellowship with God himself and fellowship with each other. And then, empowered by his forgiveness, we can lean into Jesus to, verse 7, walk in the light. And this is in the present tense in the original language of the New Testament. And that's important because of this. Most of the time, the present tense in the original language of the New Testament means this is ongoing action. It's something that keeps on keeping on. It's not just happening now. So we cling to Jesus in his light. And that's why the Apostle Paul, continuing on in Galatians chapter 5, after that really bad news about how you and I fail... He says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, the simple truth for this is... um, Today, that if we say we have no sin, God points to us and says, liar, liar, pants on the fire. So we confess, Jesus is real. And a big part of us being real in this acknowledgement of our simple inability to fix our own sin problem. God can do that. God wants to do that. I don't know where you are this morning. Physically, certainly, I don't know where you are. Spiritually, I don't know where you are. But have you yet said to Jesus, I know, I know, I know. Forgive me, Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank you today for the words of forgiveness from Jesus. We pray that each person, each person who has heard these words from the Apostle John, would embrace the reality of this potential for forgiveness and this capacity we have through Jesus to walk in the light. No more deep fakes, Lord. No more liar, liar, pants on fire. We want to be open and trust you for the forgiveness that you've promised to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.